So let me just open us um, in a time of prayer, and then we're going to look at, if, if you weren't with us a couple weeks ago, it was the last time we talked um, uh, from the Bible, and we're, we're looking through Ruth right now. So it's a short book. Um, it's found towards the beginning of your Bible, right after Judges, and it's a fascinating story. So I'll talk a little bit more about how we're kind of working through that over the next, I don't know, five to six weeks. But let's pray first, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Father, I just uh, we come before you right now, God, and just ask that you open our hearts and our minds to whatever you have for us this morning. Lord, I pray that um, uh, anything that might be uh, burdensome to us, that we're able to uh, just give that to you, and that you would lift that off our shoulders, and we'd be able to experience uh, rest and peace and joy this morning, um, and we'd be able to see your your word uh, in a new way and be able to see you in a new way as we uh, look at this story. Father, I want to lift up uh, the people of Ukraine. Uh, just reading this morning, and um, there's so much suffering going on right now, and, and so much evil, God, and um, hurt and pain. And I just pray for relief. I pray for justice and I pray for peace uh, all across this world. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, so we are um, looking at Ruth. Uh, Last, let's see, two weeks ago, we had a communion meal last week. Two weeks ago, we read the whole book, uh, which is not that long. It took about 12 minutes and just kind of got an overview of, of what Ruth's all about. Um, and now what we're going to do is, is we're not really going to move through it uh, passage by passage, like linearly, like we often do. Uh, what I want to do is, over the next three weeks, take each of the characters in Ruth and kind of paint a portrait of, of that character and their experience. Hey, Molly, what's up? Hey, Kip. Look at those eyes. Do you see the Ruth Barnhart, everyone. Um, yeah, so we're going to, there's three main characters in the story of Ruth. Uh, Naomi, we're going to look at her today, and she's actually like the main character. Even though it's called Ruth, we'll talk about why it might be called Ruth. But Naomi is, like, there's no story without Naomi. Uh, she is who this story is about. We're going to look at her today. Um, and then we have Ruth, uh, who obviously is an amazing person. Hey, Sam, what's going on? Good to see you guys. You're not working today? Not today. Not today, all right. Uh, and then we're going to look at Boaz um, the third week. And then we might have one or two more weeks where we just kind of look at some interactions between these three and, and what that might mean. But um, that's how we're going to do it. So if, if you go home, you read through Ruth today, we may not hit every single part of it. Um, but hopefully we get a nice, big, uh, holistic picture of this story as we move through it. Um, so why are we talking about Ruth? Well... Uh, We just finished up spending a couple months in the book of Jonah, and I wanted to do Ruth after Jonah uh, for one main reason. They kind of get at the same idea, and that is that God, his love is so radical and so unexpected and and so unceasing, um, and it it really uh, can at times make us a little uncomfortable if we really understand the magnitude of God's love. In Jonah, we see God doing the loving, and a human working really hard, Jonah, to resist God's love and, and 
he was angry about God's love towards people that he didn't think deserved it. Um, and, and so we, we see that interaction between God and, and this, this guy, Jonah, who's his prophet. Um, in this story, God is going to kind of take a, a back seat to the main characters who are going to be the ones doing the loving. But they are going to be living out this love that we see that comes from God, this faithful, radical, sacrificial love in their own interactions with one another. Okay, so that's, that's why I thought it would be really cool to, to look at Jonah and then look at, at the story of Ruth and kind of take those two books and get a real good idea of, of what is this love that, that God shows us and that he asks us to show one another. So that's why we're doing it. Um, last week, we talked about how Ruth is the little story in the big story. Okay, we, we, uh, I, we played this little game where we had pictures and... Uh, we don't have any fun games today, I'm sorry, but we zoomed in on objects, and you had to try to identify the object in the zoomed-in picture, right? So we had like a nickel and a, and a carrot and, and all these things, and it's hard to identify the object when you see the really zoomed-in picture, because you just see these little tiny details, and they're really big, and it's hard to piece it all together. But once you see the big picture, the little details begin to make sense. And what we said is that once we see the big picture of how Ruth fits into the larger story of what God's doing in the world, the the little details of the story make sense. And the same is true for our life. As we begin to understand God's big story and how he's invited us to be a part of that, the little details in our lives will start to make a little more sense. All right? So that's that's how we can look at the story of Ruth. Um, We're kind of, rather than moving through it in a line, where we're looking at, last week we looked at the big story. This week we're going to kind of look at the bookends. Okay, Naomi is, is the bookends of the story. We're going to look at who is Naomi, what's, what's her deal, and, and why, why are we talking about her, and then how the story ends. So spoiler alert, like we're going to talk about the end today. And then we're going to zoom in a little bit more on Ruth, and then zoom in on Boaz. And it's kind of like we can imagine as concentric circles. Not that Boaz is the most important, but it's the smallest of details. Uh, and it teaches us a lot about the larger story. So what's the big picture? And then we'll dive in. Um... The big picture, as we talked about last week, we'll talk about it a little bit more uh, today, is that the story of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, who are three uh, rather insignificant, just ordinary people. They live in this small little town of Bethlehem. Uh, We know Bethlehem because that's where Jesus was born, but it's a real insignificant kind of little rural town. All right. These people are not significant at all. Um, You know, Boaz might be the most prominent person in the story, but even Boaz, he's just a farmer in a little old town. Okay, so significant, ordinary people. Naomi in particular experiences a lot of suffering, but it's a rather ordinary story. I mean, there's a lot of people that go through a lot of suffering. Um, but what we see is that this little story is a really important part of God's big story. And so at the end, it talks about how uh, this story leads to King David, and we'll talk about how that works at the end, but King David is a high point in Israel's history, and then we know that King David leads to Jesus, okay, which is really significant. So as we read this story, and it ends with that, we see, ah, now we see what God was doing through these ordinary, insignificant people to bring about the greatest act of love and restoration that he's, he's ever done. Um, there's another point to, uh, that's important to know from last week, uh, before we dive in, and that is that it's not just about what is to come for these people, but they are actually living out the world that is to come in their own lives. And what I mean by that is 
you know, we know that Jesus is the one that brings healing and restoration of all things. And we're moving towards this place of, 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 uh, of goodness and wholeness and purity. And, and the world is going to be reconciled um, and, and go back to the way God intended for it to be. But at the same time, Ruth and Naomi and Boaz can live into that world in their day, a day of, of real brokenness and a situation of real brokenness. And what happens is we see that radical and sacrificial love brings about that healing and restoration that is to come. Okay, so, so they are experienced, one way we could put this is they are experiencing heaven on earth. Okay, the world that is to come, they are experiencing because of the radical and sacrificial love that they show one another. It brings healing to their brokenness. It fills their emptiness. It, it brings joy to a place of, of real sorrow. Okay, so again, I'm talking big picture. I know a lot of that might not make sense, but as we look at the details, hopefully, um, the details will make more sense because we know that big picture. All right, so today we're going to look at Naomi, and we're going to look at how her situation of brokenness, really a really hopeless situation, um, she's, she's really in a place of, of, of what, we'll, what we'll see, a place of death. Um, how God is going to bring her to a place of resurrection and, and restoration through that and through the love, just kind of ordinary love of, of people in her life. Okay? All right. Here we go. So a couple questions we're going to answer today. Um, rather briefly, we're not going to spend a ton of time in the passage, but who is Naomi? What's her situation? Um, what's the setting of, of her life right now? And how does it fit into the bigger story? So if you have a Bible or, or your uh, um, phone uh, or you just want to listen you, you can do that too I unfortunately could not fit uh, the, the scripture that we're going to talk about today in the bulletin um, so it's not in there as it normally is uh, but we are going to start off in Ruth chapter 1 verse 1 alright here we go Ruth 1 verse 1 in the days when the judges ruled in Israel a severe famine came upon the land So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Mahalon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Okay. So first two verses here, and if you're, if you're an ancient Israelite and you're reading this, right away you'd have a bunch of red flags go up. Okay? You might have not thought much of, of what was said right there, but for someone who, who is kind of exists in this context, right away you're like, this is bad news. Okay? Lots, of, lots is going on right here. So I just want us to understand uh, how this is a really bad start to the story. Number one, it says, in the days when the judges ruled. That's the first line of, of this, this story. The judges were leaders uh, appointed by God to rule and judge the people of Israel. So they'd preside over legal cases. Israel didn't really have a king or, or a governing body. So God would just place these judges that would, would judge the people and, and make sure that, that people were being fair and, and people weren't being mistreated and all that. And they'd also lead them militarily. So you may have heard of the book of Judges that tells the story of these men and women that God appointed as judges. Um, what, that's okay. Um, but if you read through the book of Judges, you realize that it, 
things didn't go well in this time. Okay, and, and the judges, some of them were good people, some of them di- didn't do uh, so hot. Um, but ultimately, the, it, it was just a really bad time in Israel's history. Um, and it, even uh, to the point where in the last line of the book of Judges, this is Judges 21, verse 25, it says, in those days, referring to the, this is referring to the days of when the judges ruled. So in those days, Israel had no king and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Okay, so, so when we read Ruth, this happened in the days of the judges. We read, okay, everyone's doing whatever they want. It's anarchy. It's chaos. Um, the strong survive and the weak get taken advantage of and abused and, and all that. Okay, it's a really bad time to, to exist, especially we'll see it's a really bad time for Naomi, who's going to be put in a place of severe vulnerability and weakness okay, in this setting. All right, so, um, so this is the context of, of the story in Ruth and Naomi. It's time everyone did whatever they wanted. Okay? We can, it's like ancient Near Eastern purge, right? So bad, bad stuff. And you can read about this in Judges if you want. Um, it's, it's, a, it's rated R, we'll say. But more importantly, it's like, and one of the things that comes out in the book of Judges is no one stood up for the oppressed. Okay? No one stood up for justice. Everyone did what was best for them. Okay? And that's, that's what's happening in the background here. So these are the things you'd see if you, if you were, you know, exist in that context. And now we get to see those things. Uh, the second thing that's said is there was a severe famine in Israel. We're not going to go this slowly through all of it. But these are important. Okay, this isn't good either. All right, because Israel is the promised land. Okay, if you, may have, if you grew up in the church or even if you didn't, you might have heard Israel was the land flowing with milk and honey. Right? A, a, a land of abundance, a land where God provides. So there's a famine in this promised land. And the question that we're left with, and the question we should ask, is going to be a major question throughout the book of Ruth, is where is God? Where is God in suffering? Where is God when things are going awfully and horribly? Okay, where is God when, when you feel like God has abandoned you? Okay, that's what we get here in this first line. There's a famine in God's land. So Naomi is going to be asking this question, um, not, not always explicitly, but throughout her story, uh, this is going to be the main thing that really, really eats at her soul, is where is God in all this? Um, why am I experiencing this sort of suffering and this sort of brokenness? If God is who he says he is, if he is a good God who loves me and is present, why is this happening? Okay, where is God? That's the question we want to constantly be going back to. But things get worse. Okay, they get worse than, than the time of the judges in a famine in a land because uh, Elimelech, Naomi, and her two sons flee to Moab. Okay, we read that in these first couple lines. They flee to Moab. So we have this, this family of Israelites, these four Israelites, who are now famine, they're famine refugees in the country of Moab. Okay, we're seeing millions of refugees right now leave Ukraine, and, and we've seen a lot of refugee crises throughout our short life. All right, that's what's happening here. They're having to leave their home and go to a place called Moab. It, that's bad uh, as it is, but what we need to understand is Moab is not a great place for them to be. Okay, Moab, it would be like Ukrainians fleeing to Russia right now. 
Okay, Moab were enemies of Israel. If you read in, in Judges 3, uh, you'd see that for 18 years during the time of the Judges, Moab conquered and enslaved the Israelites. Okay, again, this is fresh in their minds. Um, uh, uh, Moab is, is not a friendly place for these people. And, but they were so desperate to survive that this is where they had to go. Okay, so you have this Israelite family, famine refugees, living in a country that, that hates them and hates their God. Okay, that's the setting. All right, so the opening scene. Days of the Judges, a time of anarchy, violence, and chaos. There's famine in the promised land, begging the question, where is God in all this? And a family from Bethlehem is forced to take refuge, refuge in, in a, a foreign land uh, uh, filled with people who, who don't, aren't, aren't hospitable, for sure, and probably don't like them all that much. Okay, let's read on. Verse 3. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Malon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone, without her two sons or her husband. Okay, so, goes from bad to worse to, to probably worst. The worst it could possibly be. Okay, we have... Naomi left completely desolate and hopeless. She's in a foreign and unfriendly land. Her husband has died, and now her, her two sons have died as well. She's left with these two Moabite daughter-in-laws, uh, daughters-in-law, who we should assume, and I think we often miss this, are completely barren. Okay? You don't wait around 10 years to have kids. Okay? K- children are the reason for, for marriage in this context. They're not traveling. They're not saving up. They're not just enjoying life. They've been trying to have kids these last 10 years. All right. And month after month, these three women, Orpah, Ruth, Naomi, have have faced excruciating disappointment after disappointment. Okay. These women are barren. And and now we know um, uh, biologically that the sons could be the problem. One, One thing that's really interesting might make you pretty angry, probably should make you angry, is... Not only in this time, but, I mean, even recently in, in places like China, real, real um, patriarchal cultures, uh, women would be blamed and, and, and punished for not producing a male son, right? Now, if you know, uh, you know your biology, who, decide, you know, who determines the, the gender of, of a child? It's the husband provides the chromosome, the XY chromosome, right? Okay, so, so here we have a, a situation where now we don't know who was barren and who wasn't, but we have a situation where it, it is entirely on the women, the responsibility for bearing a child, and not only bearing a child, but bearing a son. So these women um, were, were in a bad, bad situation. Okay? Uh, after 10 years, completely barren, uh, at least as the culture would think, and now you have three widows alone, no children, no nothing. Okay, uh, Carolyn Curtis James is a Old Testament scholar and an expert on Ruth. I'll probably mention her a lot over the next couple weeks. Um, she writes this. If you want to know Naomi's worth in the ancient Near Eastern world, count her sons. Count her grandsons. Okay. Zero, right? Naomi has nothing and is nothing. She truly is as good as dead. Okay, when we see Elimelech dies... 
Malone and Killian dies. The the natural expectation is Naomi dies with them. Okay, she has nothing left. Okay, biblical scholars often refer to Naomi as the female Job. Okay, if you haven't read the book of Job, it's it's a long one. You know, I mean, it's it's fascinating, but it'll take some time. But Job is is a man who lost everything. Okay, he has his uh, family all all die. His his home's taken away. His health is lost. I'm mean, just complete devastation. He loses everything, and it's it's interesting because the book of Job. Uh, is really him just wrestling with God and, and, and asking these hard questions that we're all faced with when we experience suffering and loss. And so to, to think, and, and we may be, uh, may be reading too much into it, but to think of Naomi as the female Job, we have all these questions in the background, uh, these natural questions that she would be asking. We don't really get to see much of her interactions with uh, God only in one place in the story, but we can assume that uh, this devastation has left her so hopeless and, and questioning and doubting and, and angry with God, as we'll see. Um, she's really in a, in a hard place. So, so Naomi is, is like the female Job. Um, she's experienced devastating and catastrophic loss. And naturally, she's going to be faced with all these questions and doubts and emotions about God and his goodness and his presence in the midst of all this. And the big question that she is going to ask and the big question that we should ask is, where is God in overwhelming situations of overwhelming brokenness? Where is God in our suffering? Where is God in, in these impossible situations where it seems like there's no way forward? Okay, that's the question of, of, of this story. All right, verse 6. <clears throat> then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab and return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. Okay, so some good news, right? A sliver of hope. God has visited his people in Israel and provided food. This is, I think, the only time, I shouldn't know this, but I think it's the only time in Ruth where it says God actually like, explicitly did something. Okay, we talked about two weeks ago uh, in Jonah, God is doing a lot of stuff. He's very um, explicitly involved in the, in the different uh, things that are happening in, in the book. Now in Ruth, he takes kind of a back seat and we know he's intimately involved, but we don't know how. The, the author doesn't tell us how, and that's intentional. Again, it's supposed to leave us with this question, where is God? But here we see God has provided food. For his people, there's, there's, the famine is over. There's food back in Israel. There's a, there's a sliver of hope that, that maybe survival is possible. Um, and so Naomi makes a really good decision. And we can learn from this decision uh, that Naomi makes. And, and that is this, that in the midst of her brokenness, okay, her situation has not gotten better. She still doesn't have a lot of hope. But in the midst of this brokenness, Naomi moves towards God. Okay, she draws near to God. Now, uh, this, this is something we got to wrap our minds around. In the minds of the ancient Israelites, Israel was the center of God's presence. Okay, we know uh, and, and we believe that, that God is everywhere. He can meet us here in a coffee shop. He can meet us um, at a bar. He can meet us uh, just on the street. He can meet us in a fancy church building if, if he wants. He can meet us anywhere. And, you know, I, I think that 
whether, whether their idea of God's presence is right or wrong, this is just what they thought about God. God was in Israel with his people. If you left Israel, you left God's presence and you left his provision. Okay? Um, that, that's, that's what's in their mind. So we see here that by making the decision to travel back to Israel, Naomi is consciously drawing near to God's presence. Now, this doesn't mean that she expected her situation to get any better. She's an elderly, childish, childless widow in Israel at the time of the judges. Okay, she's just as worthless and vulnerable as she would be anywhere else. Um, Carolyn Curtis James again says, Alone in the ancient culture, unprotected widows became targets for abuse, exploitation, assault, and even human trafficking. Anyone can abuse them with impunity since there is no male or legal system to defend them. Their future is frightening, promising only poverty, vulnerability, and misery. Okay, this is not just true in Moab. This is true in Israel as well. Okay, the judges were in Israel. That's where, where everyone's doing whatever they want. Okay, so, so it's not like, okay, she goes back to Israel and everything's going to be good. We should still assume, and she assumes that, you know, her life is, is over. But she's got this sliver of hope, and she knows that if I move towards God in this time, that maybe, maybe he'll, he'll meet me there. Okay? Um, all right. So listen, and listen to the t- tension. We're going to jump ahead. Uh, we'll revisit some of these verses in between next week. But we're going to jump ahead to verse 19. And listen to the tension as Naomi is, is drawing near to God. As she's moving back into God's presence, this is what uh, happens. So in verse 19, they come into Bethlehem and the entire town was excited by their arrival. Okay, is this really Naomi? The woman asks. Okay, it's been at least 10 years, um, probably 15, 20 years since they've left and Naomi's coming back. Is this really Naomi? Uh, she doesn't have Facebook. They don't know what's going on. They just see her come back. Uh, and she says, don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for God has made my life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So Naomi returns from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. Okay, so you can feel Naomi's devastation here, the tension that she's experiencing. As she, as she moves back into God's presence, she's still, I mean, fully aware of her situation. She says, don't call me Naomi, which means beautiful. Okay, Naomi means, that's, that's her name, it means beautiful. She says, call me Mara, and that means bitter. Okay, something you'd spit out of your mouth, something that's disgusting. Okay, because God has made my life bitter. She says, I went away full. Now, she's a famine. Uh, she, she must mean she had a son, she had, or she had two sons, she had a husband, she had promise, she had a future. I went away full, but God has brought me back empty. All right? Now, I don't know how you think about God when you experience loss and brokenness, but most of us probably grew up in a setting where we were not uh, allowed to or given the freedom to blame or question God in the midst of our brokenness, right? Uh, you kind of just got to assume that, you know, God's doing, doing good and, and it's, you know, it's just the way it is. And 
He knows what's best. We're not, we're not allowed to question. We're not allowed to, to doubt. We're not allowed to be angry and accuse. Okay? But Naomi uh, obviously didn't get the memo. She's very explicitly and publicly blaming God for her situation. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara because God has caused this devastation and suffering to happen to me. Okay, she's very, very much accusing God for her situation. She's angry with God. And she doubts whether or not God loves her, whether or not he's, he's there, whether or not he's good. Okay? So this, but, but this is important because we'll read through the story of, of Ruth. And uh, what, what's noticeable is God does not condemn her for this. Okay, the author doesn't doesn't condemn her for this. Whoever's writing the book of Ruth doesn't condemn her for her anger or her questions. Instead, what we see is that he doesn't respond to her questions either. Okay, he doesn't he doesn't explain like, well, this is what happened. This is how I was involved. All he does is he wraps her in her love. Okay, he 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 um, he embraces her in his arms, and he he is going to fill her emptiness. Through love. He's going to restore her brokenness through love. That is his response to her accusations. He's going to show her who he really is and how much he really loves her and how present he really is in her life. Okay, so, so what we can learn from, from this is that our, the way we think about God, the way we talk about God um, is not as important as our, our posture towards God. Okay? And what I mean by that is, is we can be angry, we can question, we can doubt, we can all that. But don't move away. Move towards God. Even if, it's, if you're moving towards God in anger, even if you're moving towards God with questions, with doubt, move towards God in the midst of your brokenness and hopelessness because he will wrap you up in his love. Okay? That's what Naomi experiences here. Doesn't get condemnation for her anger. Doesn't get uh, belittled for her questions or, or says... She's not told that she has, doesn't have any faith. Okay, she is loved, radically and selflessly loved and, and, and restored through that love. It's amazing. Um, all right. So last, last piece here. We're going to skip all the way to the end, to the end of the book. Spoilers, if you don't want to know the end. You might want to go get coffee or something. Um, so Ruth 4.13, that's where we're going to start. I'm just going to read the end here. Uh, there's going to be some things in here that if you haven't read the story of Ruth, uh, don't make a whole lot of sense, but we'll, we'll get to it again. We're, we're go, moving in. Okay, We started with the big story. We're looking at the bookends now. We're going to move in next week. Uh, we want to see what happens to Naomi here. So Ruth 4.13. So Boaz takes Ruth into his home, and she becomes his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to his son. Then the women in the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child become famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law, who loves you. And has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breasts. And she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor woman said, Now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. 
he became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. All right. So we're left with this beautiful image of a, of a grandmother who has been broken and left alone and, and is, is as good as dead, now holding this newborn baby, holding life in her hands. And contrast this with the picture of what we see in the beginning. Okay, we have a widowless, or I'm sorry, a widowed, childless, famine refugee living in a foreign land. All that's now reversed. She's home. She's restored. She's not uh, among a bunch of people that, that don't like her in a foreign land. She's praised by her neighbors. Her arms are filled with a grandson. Naomi goes from empty, okay, God, remember she said, God brought me back empty, and now her arms are full, okay, with the thing that, that is the, the very thing that's going to restore her and give her significance and give her worth. She goes from broken to restored. Okay, so um, just closing up here, and Brian's going to lead us through a couple songs, um, but we, have, we should understand this as a story of resurrection, Okay, it's a story of resurrection, a word that, depending on your context, you may not hear or use often. Okay, but, for, but Naomi goes from, from a place of death to life. Okay, and this isn't just a story of resurrection for Naomi, but a story of resurrection for Israel. Okay, we go from in the beginning, the time of the judges, where everyone does what they want, okay, to, uh, and it's the darkest time in Israel's history, and it ends with a baby who would be the grandfather of King David. One of the best times in Israel's history. Okay, and we know that this story doesn't just end with King David, but it leads to Jesus, whose resurrection was the beginning of the resurrection of the whole world. Okay? So this story is not just about the restoration of one broken, devastated widow, but it is about how God is working in the midst of the brokenness to move us towards a world where all Naomi's will be restored. Okay, we're all who have, who have lost everything and have been broken and shattered and devastated and left for dead would be made whole. Okay, all who are empty would be filled up. And God, as we'll see, we can talk about a lot today, but as we'll see, he does this through his radical and selfless love. That is the vehicle for restoration. Okay, it's not getting rid of us or anyone else. Okay, it's about loving us back to life. Okay. That's what this story is about. That's what God's big story is about. And we're going to look at the details of that in the coming weeks. So where is God in the midst of our brokenness? According to the story of Naomi, he is loving us towards resurrection. So let me pray and we're going to worship and just have a time of reflection. Father, just um, so grateful for this this tiny book that you've given us. Um, this story of, of these three uh, really ordinary, kind of somewhat insignificant people, uh, such a powerful story that teaches us about you and about your son and about the work that you're doing in this world, God. So I pray um, that as we explore this story together and, and in, our, in our communities and wherever we're doing that on our own, uh, that you would just reveal yourself to us in a really new and special and powerful way. 
as we worship you now, God, and hear the words of these songs, I pray that uh, we would just, our, our eyes would just be set on you and, and the work that you're doing in our lives and in this world, that we'd recognize the brokenness, that we would mourn the brokenness, that we would allow ourselves to feel anger and questions and doubts, but we would always move towards you and know that we will experience and receive your love, God. In Jesus' name, amen.